Let's start at the beginning. From today you will be able to read my books every week. Because after seven years of publishing, I have discovered three things. One. No one likes my books two. My friends don't download or read my books three. I am not offended easily. The Road to Tarascon, first published 2014. Wait for me, and I'll return. Wait for me when I am filled with sorrow. Wait, when others stopped waiting. Forgetting their yesterdays. Konstantin Zimanov, C1943. Prologue. Evandale, South Australia, 1924. Your turn. Don't, Walter said, pushing my hands away. Vera, who would bury a shoe in the garden bed. Light rain continued to fall, coating the blue paving stones behind the house in fine translucent droplets. Dodging around the wild rose bushes by the gravel path, I tried in vain to follow my brother's footsteps down the path towards the cherry tree and the blackbird's nest. Without warning, he stopped, giving me time to catch up before he vanished behind the outdoor privy. Out of breath and tripping over the bucket suspended from the spout on the water tank, I crept up behind him. Inching nearer, the black lady's shoe buckle appeared as he poked the brown sludge with a stake left lying by the path. Imagining an obnoxious black water beetle, Walter preferred collecting and depositing in my bed. His little body became fixated on the strawberry runners, peering at the shoes sticking out of the wet ground, his face turning an ashen color and his small hands shaking. Later, when mother failed to return, I discovered my father packing up her clothes from the upstairs wardrobe. She's left us, you know, he said, looking me in the eye. Didn't want to struggle with this life here. Didn't take pleasure in the house or the vines nor understand the wine of the Lord. My mother had vanished mysteriously from our lives. We no longer looked for the blackbird and her rowdy brood of chicks. She'd taken flight and not returned. Chapter 1 30th of August 1944, Normandy The battle-worn British ambulance continued its slow crawl along the ancient laneway, headlight brush guards struggling in vain to pierce the impenetrable shroud of the advancing fog. The weather had deteriorated all morning, and snowfall forecasted the day had left the fields covered in frost and a blanket of fine mist covering the tops of the tall pine trees. Trying to navigate under these conditions, the vehicle stopped or slowed to a walking pace every few minutes. The laneway became an obstacle course of bomb craters, an overturned burnt-out half-track and trucks of all descriptions lined both sides of the bocage. The windscreen wipers maintained a steady beat, and the wintry wind seeped into every crevice. Must be nearly there. Robert mumbled, chilly enough for his breath to light up. Shivering a little and wrapping my plain black scarf around my neck, I peered through wire-rimmed glasses, tangled around strands of my auburn hair, and no matter how hard I tried, this wretch mop kept absconding from under my regulation blue nurse's cap. Describing oneself as difficult at the best of times, I would say, average height and long limbs, curves in all the wrong places, a ludicrous throwback from my forebears. And as I had trouble remembering my mother's features, this left my reverend father content to retell his stories of anger and bitterness every night at the dinner table. This would be my one chance, and if this rescue mission failed, it would be easy to retrace our steps and rejoin the unit, in the belief, a similar house would be found for the hospital, albeit after more searching. To get permission was difficult under the circumstances without revealing my real purpose, as I had carefully explained to my superiors. Just to see if it was occupied? I had decided to divulge little enough information to the major, standing to attention and trying to refocus my eyes on his ruddy face. 
There is a house. In St. Poix. It may still be there. Strained to the limits and trying hard not to make demands, I was informed this behavior was going against orders. We can be out and back before dark, I continued, trying to control my breathing. Whatever we find, sir, at least I've tried to search for my family. Confidentially, there would be a slim chance of finding the right house near St. Poix from a faded black and white image. My request could have waited until security was guaranteed in this region of Normandy but having jumped at the chance of going as nurse in charge of my unit, I declared. I'll go on my own and investigate or be AWOL. Absent without leave. Years of not knowing the truth, I was no closer until this minute, this day when I longed with all my heart for the finishing line. Robert had jumped on the brakes. Sorry. He said, clutching the steering wheel and trying hard to see through the mist. It must be around here. The signpost for Bracy had also disappeared, indicated now by a red marker left behind on a shattered tree trunk. According to the map, the turnoff should have occurred before the little town of Forian. I watched as he fumbled with the map, folded in half, and jammed inside his greatcoat pocket, his eyes constantly scanning for visual signs to indicate how many miles we had driven. There, he said, pointing out the window. We go right, I think. Best we stop first. I want to go back and have a look at that faded milepost. Robert wrenched open the door slipping on the wet verge and falling feet first into a muddy hole. Damn, he said, in a gesture of desperation, throwing up his arms. Carefully, I managed somehow to extract myself from the vehicle and caught the cuff of my black knitted gloves on the door handle. Bugger, I exclaimed, my glasses slipping from my nose into the sludge and muck caused by rain and constant bombardment. Can we go on now, sir? I asked, dabbing the last specks of dirt off my lenses, and the growing impatience with my superior officer. Yes, let's see if we can find this place. I hope for your sake it hasn't been destroyed, he said. The black ooze he managed to remove from the sides of his khaki greatcoat by flicking the mud in all directions, but the water refused to be squeezed out of his leather gloves. It will be there. I said, heaving myself onto the hard front seat of the ambulance. The bloody vehicle had submerged itself on purpose into that slimy black hole, I thought. He turned the steering wheel hard to the right in one swift action and maneuvered the vehicle into the space where the iron gates had once guarded the entrance. One iron monster was now propped up against the ingress of the stone wall, the other twisted out of shape on the ground nearby. Unable to suppress my excitement, I grasped firmly at the old black and white photo of the house. This must be the place. A slight breeze blew away the swirling fog, and for a few seconds, slate roof tiles the color of black pitch peep from between high uprooted oak trees. Gable dormer windows, tall chimneys, and a splendid cylindrical corner tower, complete with arrow slits, emerged before enshrouding the building once more from view. After a moment's hesitation, Robert parked the ambulance beside a wrecked armored half-track vehicle, crouching like a wounded animal ready to pounce. The captain turned to reach behind the front seat and grabbed his brand new carbine rifle, holding the barrel tight against his body for protection. We are not going to take any chances, there could be one or two stragglers still entrenched around here. He announced, his voice calm and maintaining an even tone. Their commanding officer had made assurances this area was declared clear of the remaining German military units. But it would be careless to let our minds wander from the critical task ahead. When the team looked for a house to commandeer as a hospital, I explained to Robert the first knew of a place. To be continued. At Leonardo 54 text copyright C. 
2014 Meredith Jacob Smith